Well, good morning to uh, each and every one of you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Doug Vernon. I'm the senior minister here, and I am so thankful that you're present with us today. Those of you who are online, thank you for joining us. As Tim mentioned earlier, uh, we want to be able to connect with each one of you. If you're regularly a part of our church family, we, we'd like to know that. Um, there's a paper connect card in the seat in front of you. If you want to put that in the offering box in the back, or if you want to follow the QR code that's on your seat, it'll take you to YouVersion app, and you can click on the connect card there. Those of you are online, you can put your name in the chat box. Now, if you're a first-time guest with us, if you've never been with us before, whether in person or online, if you text that word welcome to the number on your screen, 636-206-8654, um, don't worry, Tim or myself, we won't show up at your door. In fact, nobody will show up at your door. We just want to be able to connect with you. Um, and if you're new with us, we'd love to be able to give you a gift. We've got a book that's a resource that's a part of this series called uh, to Run with the Horses by Eugene Peterson. And so you can just uh, let Bob know if you're online and brand new with us and just put that in the chat box and we'll make sure we get you a book. If you're here and this is your first time, come see Karen at the Connect Point and we'd love to be able to give you that particular resource. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you just felt really out of place? You know, you're just in a place and environment and you look around and you just think, I really feel out of place. So in 2015, Marv Raymond and I, Marv is one of the elders, we went on a mission trip uh, to Panama. Now, this was the same place that we take uh, a group, a team of people every year. We're kind of hoping we'll do that this summer. We're not sure if COVID's going to allow us to do that. But that's where we go and dig the wells with uh, David's Well, uh, the church there that Juan Rodriguez started. Um, anyway, Marv and I went in 2015, this particular month, to do just some teaching and preaching and encouragement to the group of pastors that Juan mentors and encourages and watches over. And so we went to Panama. That's really the first time I've ever gone out of the country other than Canada. And does that actually count? I'm not quite certain. But anyway, um, I went to there with Marv. I don't speak Spanish. Marv, do you speak Spanish? Marv doesn't either. So neither of us speak Spanish. Now, we were with people that we knew who could speak Spanish. They were all gracious to us. But it's, it's a different culture. It's a different pace of life. They speak a different language. They eat different food. But it was, it was pretty much okay until the last day and a half. So we go to church uh, Sunday morning. That's the last day that we're there with Juan and David at the church there eat lunch with them, but then someone takes us to the airport, and now it's just Marv and me for the next that day and the next day trying to get back to the United States. Again, we don't speak the language, and so it's like we go to the airport, and we're trying to figure out where we go, and then they said they had lined up uh, someone to drive us then from the airport in Panama City to the place we're staying, and they were going to take us to the Panama Canal. We could do a little sightseeing, right? And then the next day we were to be taken to the airport again, but it's like the guy that they got, you know, we trusted them, but he hardly spake, spoke any kind of English at all. In fact, most of the things he said, I'm thinking to myself, what did he just say? I don't really know what he just said to us. He did get us to the Panama Canal and we made it back safely, but it was like, it was a little bit uh, disconcerting to be in a place in which I felt so out of place. And maybe you've experienced that before. Uh, maybe you experienced that today, right? You've recently moved to a new place, and you feel kind of out of place, right? Or maybe for you it's a new job. 
maybe it's a new season of life, or maybe it's some difficulties that have happened that make you feel just kind of like, I'm not where I should be or I really want to be. Maybe you've experienced the death of somebody you love. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce and it's put you in this difficult place. Or maybe it's COVID, right? COVID's kind of messed all of us up a little bit in that way. But what if you find yourself in a place like that, but it's not just, you know, for an overnight trip, but it's kind of like indefinitely. It's kind of like, I don't know when this is going to end. And then you find out you're in the exact place that God planned you to be at that particular moment. How do we respond to that? How do we react to something like that? Well, I'm thankful that God in his word gives us some examples of people who have experienced the same kind of things that you and I have experienced or are currently experiencing in our life. That God's plans, though they don't always make sense to us, or what we trust in and what we're thankful for. But our reaction and response to that, especially when it's just we're completely out of our, you know, culture, current, whatever it happens to be, especially when we're in a place we don't want to be, how we respond to that makes a huge impact in our lives. So today we're finishing up this series on the book of Jeremiah, uh, just simply entitled To Tear Down and Rebuild. And we find ourselves as a church in a somewhat kind of a tearing down phase. And our prayer is that God would rebuild us. God would replant us. God would do a new work in the heart and life of this church and the heart and life of every single one of us. That's our prayer. And so that's why we've been led to the book of Jeremiah, because that's exactly what's going on with God's people. They find themselves being told they're going to be sent into exile, and finally that happens to them. And what are they going to do? How are they going to react? How are they going to respond in the midst of that? And so as we are in this particular series, Jeremiah is a prophet of God. And Jeremiah has called, been called by God, and this is Jeremiah 1.10. You know, he's appointed him over nations and over people to do what? Here's what it says in Jeremiah 1.10. To uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And that's why we're in this book. Because though Jeremiah never ever saw the rebuilding and the replanting, he was led away into captivity. Our prayer is that we would be able to not only see that, but God would use us to be a part of that. And so what are we learning in the book of Jeremiah? Well, the first thing that we learn in the book of Jeremiah is the fact that we need to stop living a mundane life. You know, Jeremiah was called by God. You and I have a special place in God's plan. Stop living a mundane life. Dig in. Do the very best that we possibly can because God has great things in mind for us. Then the second week we learned is that before God can rebuild, he's got to tear down. He's got to pull up. There's some things in our lives. There's some things in our church. There's a things in our community as believers of Jesus Christ that God's got to pull up and God's got to uproot in our lives. And the third thing we learned is that God calls us to a life of great significance like Jeremiah, but he does not call us to a life of ease. Life's tough. Life can be difficult as we live for Jesus Christ, as we experienced. Then last week we learned that God is the potter, right? God is sovereign and in control of all things. And our job is to yield our lives to the, to the hands of the potter as he's working on our life and finding those things that need to be removed as he's shaping us 
and that we need to learn to keep trusting in God in the midst of all of that. And so we find ourselves in a place that we really don't want to be. We find ourselves out of place, right, in the place that we're at. And so what do we need to learn? What do we need to remember? This final lesson is simply this, that we need to make sure that our plans line up with God's plans. That the things that we have in mind, our plans as a people, as individuals, as our families, but particularly as followers of Jesus gathered as the church here in Wildwood, but all across the United States and the world, that we make sure our plans line up with God's plans. So I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, and we'll be there. Those of you online, open your Bibles up, follow along. Those of you here, there's Bibles in the seat in front of you or underneath there. You can turn to it or use your phone or your uh, tablet. It's been, by the time we come to Jeremiah 29, about 30 plus years of Jeremiah prophesying to the people of God, preaching If you don't change, if you don't turn, God's going to uproot and he's going to destroy us and he's going to carry us off into captivity. But by this time, we've passed 597 B.C. 597 represents the the first group of Jews that were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. He comes with his army. He kills many people who were Jews in that area because of the war and the battle. But eventually he carries them off into captivity. He takes them away And so Jeremiah, though, is still in Jerusalem. And so the question for those people who are now exiles, who are in a place they don't want to be, is what are we supposed to do here? What's supposed to happen to us? So Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, this was after King Jehoiakim, or King Jehoiachin, and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone, all gone into exile from Jerusalem. Now that group of people, we're going to refer to that near the end of the message. That's an important group of people there. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, who was the son of Shaphan, and to Jemirah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So they're in exile. What are they supposed to do? We don't know. And so God instructs Jeremiah, write a letter, you're still in Jerusalem, to all the people who are exiles who are in the place that they don't want to be. Now, first you kind of got to imagine, what would it be like to be in that place? I mean, imagine life going along just like it is right now, and life is good, and life is great, but suddenly an enemy comes in and just obliterates half of what we know to be real, and they take you and they rip you out of the family you love, maybe killing half of the family, put you in chains and cause you to walk hundreds of miles to a foreign land that you don't even know anything about. How would you react and respond in a situation like that? How would they react and respond? I'm sure many of them grumbled and complained. You know what? God, what are you doing? We hate this. This is terrible. We don't want to be here. I mean, we're not really that bad, right, God? I mean, there's a lot of people that are worse than us, and yet this is happening to us. And complaining about the food and complaining about the language. Maybe they're complaining about how they can't worship God anymore like they used to because they're not in Jerusalem. I would think some of them would probably also have wanted to blame God. I mean, don't you want to blame God sometimes when things are tough and difficult? It's like, why is this happening to me? 
And some of them, we also know, wanted to revolt. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem. They wanted to get rid of Nebuchadnezzar and all of these folks here and go back. So they are stuck, they're exiled, they're far from home, and so God sends them a letter. Verse 4, here's the start of the letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now he begins with this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. They need to be reminded of who's in control, that God is sovereign. He is the Lord God Almighty. But then notice to who he writes it to, to all those I carried into exile. They also need to know that God did this. This was God's plan. This is God's work, that God brought about Nebuchadnezzar to come, to take them off into captivity. And the problem with that is that it's hard for them to understand that. In fact, it's hard for us to understand that. Could God actually do something so wicked and evil like that to cause half the Jews to be killed off and people to be brought into captivity? Would he use an evil, wicked king like Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his will? I mean, is it possible that God uses bad stuff in our lives or in this world to accomplish his will? I'm not God. I don't know how God does all those things. But I do know that in this instance, God carried them into exile. And there are certain things that happen in our life that we need to recognize and understand that it's a part of God's greater plan that we don't always know or recognize or we don't realize. But before they would, would be willing to accept what the letter was said, they needed to accept the fact that God was in control and God was working, no matter what it looked like was happening all around them. And so he gives them this command, starting in verse 5. He says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters and marries so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. What's God telling them to do while they're in Babylon? I mean, they want to go home. And God's saying, I want you to go from being a refugee to being a resident. I want you to dig in. I want you to take root. I want you to begin to live your lives in this particular place. I want you to have sons and daughters, which sounds like they're going to be there for quite a while, right? Which is not what they were told by some of the false prophets who were both in Jerusalem and in Babylon. Some of them were saying, oh, we're only going to be here for a couple years. Jump down to verse 8 of Jeremiah 29. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. That's such an interesting phrase, the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. When 70 years, everybody say 70 years. 70 years. When 70 years are completed in Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Seventy years. And some of these guys were saying two years. Now, they shouldn't have been surprised because Jeremiah told them that they would be there 70 years. He told them that more than once. Like, for instance, in chapter 25 and verse 11, the whole country, Jeremiah is saying this from God, the whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. That sounds like a long time. I mean, 
the false prophets were saying, oh, we're going to be going back in two years. I mean, I can probably handle about anything for two years. You know, if I, as long as I know there's an end in sight. But 70 years, what will I be in 70 years? Dead. I'm going to be popping up daisies. I'm going to be six feet under in 70 years. That, that doesn't sound very fun for me. I mean, it's like I'm going to be here forever. God, you're saying that we're going to be here for 70 years? And God says, I want you to settle down and have families and build homes and plant gardens. I want you to be in that particular place. In fact, go back to verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. There's that reminder again. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity to the city which I have carried you into exile. You're talking about the enemy here. Seek means to just give everything you have. Make sure that this is something that takes place. Give everything you have to seeking the peace and prosperity of the place that you're at. And you do that by living the kind of life that God wants you to live. Shalom is that word peace. It means wholeness. It was a blessing that God wanted his people to give to that land and to that particular nation. For them to settle down. Now, what he doesn't want them to do is to settle into living the life like everybody else lives in Babylon. In other words, just because we settle down doesn't mean we settle for the culture that they have or we live the way they want us to live. We still live life on God's terms. And that's something important for many of us to recognize. Because even while we find ourselves exiles and aliens, we still live the way God wants us to live, even when we don't always recognize it. But then he says, pray for the enemy. Pray for the enemy. You've got to be kidding me. God, this enemy is the one who killed my father as he was fighting against them, who leveled my home, who destroyed everything good that I know, who carried me off into captivity, and you want me to pray for these people? I mean, it's like, I think they had trouble even thinking they could pray to God in Babylon because Jerusalem, the temple, had been destroyed. But now, I don't want you to just pray in Babylon. God's saying, I want you to pray for Babylon. And it's intriguing as you look through some of Jeremiah's prophecies, God specifically forbade Jeremiah from praying for the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem, his city, his people. God forbade him. But now here's Jeremiah through the call of God saying, I want you to pray for the land of Babylon. I want you to seek the peace there. I want you to pursue that. And God always has something more in mind than you and I can see, doesn't he? I mean, our perspective is so limited. God always has something more in mind for us. So this right here is a big mess of yarn, and this is a gift that Brandy and her mother uh, made. Well, I got one, and the other staff got one at Christmas time as well. This is very pretty. This is what I can do. This is what somebody who knows what they're doing can do right here. I do not know how to do this. Um, if you want something like this, don't come to me, right? Sometimes I feel like this is the way life looks right now. It's a mess. I mean, the last couple of years have been a mess. Life is hard at times. It's challenging. It's difficult. And my problem is I do not know how to go from this to this. I have no clue. I have no idea. 
other than, I know I need to turn to God. But I see this, but God knows this is what it can become. God has plans for us that he wants to work in our life, but we've got to be willing to yield to him. And there's so often in life that we just can't see what God has in mind. That's why we need to make sure that our plans are always lining up with the plans of God. Now, we haven't even come to the good verse yet. That's coming next, all right? Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is probably one of the most quoted verses, known verses in all of Scripture. In the email we sent out Friday, I said, do you know what this verse is? So here's what he says. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I know the plans I have for you, the Lord says. But Here's what's important to remember. This was promise was written specifically to a group of people who were in exile because of their rebellion against God. Because they had turned their backs on God. They had said, God, your way is not important enough. And even though they had been warned for hundreds and hundreds of years, they still did that. And so God writes these words to people who are in exile, who find themselves in a place they don't want to be because that's exactly where God wants them to be. And what does God say to them? I know the plans I have for you. That's why we want to make sure our plans line up with God's plans. Because God knows the plans. He knows what he wants to do in our lives. And his way is always better. I'm good at this, right? We're all good at this. Making a mess of stuff. And God is good at making things beautiful. And God's promises, as you read through these promises, it's amazing what he says there. They are freely given by God. But those promises must be received. They, they are not freely accepted by many of us. See, this isn't God saying, well, everything's going to turn out to be okay and wonderful. This is God calling for a response from people who are living in rebellion to him. Who don't like where they're at. Who say, God, I don't want to be here. And they're complaining and griping and grumbling to God over whatever reason it is. God... Is not just saying everything's going to work out. God is calling for a specific response from his people. He says there, you will seek me and find me when what? When you seek me with all your heart. Say that, with all your heart. That's not just, well, God, you're pretty important to me and I kind of like you. That's not just, you know, kind of showing up every once in a while. It is seeking God with everything we have. It's so easy for the distractions of life to get in the way. I know, for me it is. The discouragement and feeling like, I don't want to be in this place that we find ourselves. God says, I will send you into exile, and I will bring you back if you seek me with all your heart, if you give your very self to me. And that's the story again and again in Scripture. That's the story of the prodigal son. You know, he runs away from the father, but then he comes to his senses. That's the story of Jonah in the well. God says, I want you to go preach to the city, and Jonah goes the other direction and finally turns to God in the belly of the well. I don't want to go that far, right? I don't want to be swallowed by a well. 
That's the story of Peter when he denies Jesus right in the garden. He says, I don't even know him, and he runs away and weeps bitterly. But he comes back to the Lord. So how do we respond in exile? I mean, that's really the important question for us to consider. How do we choose to respond to that? You know, we can choose to respond <clears throat> as we face these decisions. We can focus on that which is wrong, problematic, that which is discouraging, that's, you know, and just have a pity party, right? Oh, woe is me. That's really easy for me to do at times. Or we can focus on what we can do and accomplish in the name of God and what he wants us to do. How can I live my best life for God in exile? That's what we can focus on. So what are some of the lessons in exile? One lesson is this. Exile reveals what really matters. It reveals what really matters. When, when life gets challenging and difficult, you know, what matters is we seek the Lord with all of our hearts. We make sure that his plans are what succeeds. Another lesson in exile is this. It re, it's the crucible of faith. It is the worst that points us to the better. You know, it's that whole thing of life is filled with so many distractions, and yet when life gets really hard, right, when you find yourselves in the crucible of fire, suddenly those things that seem so important aren't all that important anymore. And it's like suddenly God focuses our, our attention on what matters most, which is Him, in a walk, in a relationship with Him, which is seeking Him with all of our heart. And so that's why we need to make sure that our plans line up with God's plans. That we make sure that we're constantly seeking God with all of our heart. All of us find ourselves in given moments or days or weeks or months or even years. We find ourselves in exile. For whatever reason we find ourselves there. The question is, what are we going to do with that? As a church, what are we going to do with the exile that we feel like we found ourselves in right now as a result of what's occurred in our hearts and in our lives? What do we do with that? We want to seek God with all of our heart. And it's important to know that there really is no quick fix to this, is there? I mean, in that season, it was 70 years. Again, in 70 years, I'll be dead. 70 years. But what's so cool about God's Word and how it works together and fits together, so Jeremiah was a prophet from the time of Josiah, 40 years, till just about the time where Jerusalem's led off into captivity. Maybe he witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem, we don't know, but he ends up in Egypt. He doesn't even go to Babylon. But that group of people, possibly that group of people that were transported in 597 B.C., you know, all of the artisans and all of the smart people and all of those when they were taken quite possibly one of the ones that was taken at that time was a guy by the name of Daniel Daniel lived his most of his life in exile in Babylon and yet as Daniel gets near to the end of his life an intriguing things happens to him because God worked through him in so many different ways but in Daniel chapter 9 Daniel all of a sudden recognizes and realizes what's happening and where they're at and the period of time they're in. So here's Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent. So now this is the third major ruler that's been over Babylon since the Jews have been there. Who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, so Daniel's writing this, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given, notice this, to Jeremiah the prophet, so he's reading the words of Jeremiah that he had written, that letter, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting in sackcloth and in ashes. Daniel realizes, as he's an old man now, spent most of his life in Babylon, that the 70 years is about to end. But it's not an automatic thing that God's going to bring them back. It called for a season of true repentance and make sure that the Jews had changed their heart, that they were really living the way God wanted them to live. And so the prayer that Daniel prays in these next several verses is an astonishing prayer. I really would encourage you to go home and read that and just begin to look and see the different aspects of that prayer. But what we're going to do as a church family over the next few moments is we're going to pray to God together. We're going to just have a a time of prayer. I'm going to give you a a prompt, and we're going to use this prayer from Daniel. I'm going to give you a prompt and encourage you to silently pray about something. I'll start that, and then I'll be quiet for a moment or two, and you just pray where you're at. Then I'll give you another prompt, again, from this prayer from Daniel. And then you pray, and then I'll prompt you again, and then I'll finally come and we'll finish up our time of prayer. But it's going to begin with us honoring God for who he is. It's going to have us confessing our personal sins to God. It will have us confessing the corporate sins of Christians in this church, in this community, in this nation, in this world. And then the final part will be, as Daniel does there, is crying out to God and saying, God, we need you to hear, we need you to listen, we need you to respond. So you can just sit there as we pray. If you feel like you need to stand as we pray, I'm going to kneel, and I encourage you to kneel as well as we pray. But I'll just prompt you, and then silently you pray, and let's, let's seek God with all of our hearts during this time. Let's call upon him right now. Let's pray together to God. So the first way that we're going to pray together is just to honor God for who He is. This is just praise. And even right where you're at, just take time to just silently praise God. Daniel prayed things like, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keeps His commandments. Lord, you are righteous. Lord, you are merciful and forgiving. Lord, you are faithful and true. Lord, you always keep your promises. So right now, let's take time to praise and honor the Lord God for who he is. Lord, we honor you for who you are. You are great and awesome. You are sovereign. 
You are forever, Lord. You're faithful, you're true, you're merciful, and we cry out to you right now and honor you for who you are. The next part of Daniel's prayer was where Daniel confessed his personal sins to the Lord. And so let's take time right now to confess our personal sins. Get specific to God. Say, God, this is where I've struggled. This is where I've sinned before you. Daniel, Daniel prayed. He says, Lord, I've sinned. I've done wrong. We've been wicked. We've rebelled. We've turned away. Father God, we are covered with shame. Lord, we confess our sins. So take right time right now to confess your sins to the Lord. Lord, I confess to you my sinfulness. Lord, I let fear and anxiety overrule my trust in you. Lord, I let my anger and my anxiety make decisions. Lord, I find times where I treat others with disdain. Lord, that I'm selfish. and Lord, that I don't fully trust in you and focus on you. And so, Lord, thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. The next thing Daniel did was he confessed the sins of his people, the Jewish people. And we're going to take time to confess the sins of us corporately as a church and Christians in this nation and Christians in this world. Daniel prayed things. He said, Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. He says, Lord, you are merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against you. We've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. And so let's take time to confess our corporate sins as a church and as a followers of Jesus Christ in this nation and in this world. Lord God, we who are your people, who have been blessed, forgiven, and shown mercy in so many ways, Lord, how easy it is for us to be judgmental towards others. 
Father, we become indifferent to your work and your will and your word in our lives. Lord, our priorities have gotten all messed up. We put ourselves before you and your word. Lord, we've at times chosen not to live lives that honor you and to be a light shining in the darkness in our families and our neighborhoods. Lord, we've committed injustice and rebellion even in our nation. Lord, we have allowed those who are hurting, Father God, to go without healing. We've not spoken up and been silent when we see injustice occurring. Father God, we've taken the easy road at times as your people, rather than honoring you and meeting the needs of those who are hurting in our city and in our nation and in this world. Lord, we confess our sins as your people. And finally, in Daniel's prayer, he cries out to God for God to come and work in our lives. Daniel prayed this in Daniel chapter 9, verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servants. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear to our, our God and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the people that has been your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Let's call upon God right now to deliver us. Lord God, we ask you to come and deliver, to come, Father, and do your perfect will in our lives and in your church and in your people. Father God, we ask this not because we're good or righteous, because, but because, Lord, you are merciful and good. Lord, come and give wisdom and insight and strength. Lord, we call upon you to, to hear us and to listen, to forgive and to restore, Lord we ask you to rebuild and replant in our lives and in your church here, Lord, so that we can continue to be a light in this community. Father, showing your great love and your mercy to so many, Lord, we ask you to listen and to hear and to act for the sake of your name, Lord God. In your name we pray, amen.